Welcome to the Beacon Church Podcast. Each week we post a sermon from our last Sunday service so you can catch up, review, or share with your friends. We pray as you listen to this week's episode, you're encouraged and equipped to love God, love people, grow in Christ, and serve the world. Good morning, everyone. My name is Pastor Justin. I'm one of the uh, pastors here on staff and uh, really, really glad to be with you. So um, some of you might resonate with that situation. If you've ever lived in an apartment building before, uh, you know, you maybe had a neighbor around you that makes too much noise, that you found a little irritating in some way. Mr. Heckles is this repeating character in the early seasons of Friends. So uh, if you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't know what I'm talking about, there's a good chance that you're that neighbor. So that's something you can think about when you lay down in bed tonight. Uh, but you know what? There's, there's people around us that kind of rub us the wrong way everywhere we go in life, right? I mean, sometimes it's a neighbor like this. Uh, sometimes maybe there's a, a coworker at your office or your place of work that, that somehow you find a little irritating. Maybe you keep your distance. Um, hey, we're a family here at Beacon Church, but there might be people in this room that you find a little, eh, I don't know, off-putting. You keep your distance. Now everyone's like looking next to each other like. Um, on the other side, I would say everybody has people that they also love, right? People that they find easy to love. Um, you think about like just a good friend or a family member or someone just close to you that you, you just love and feel close to. And, uh, you know, Jesus of Nazareth comes onto the scene, and he kind of addresses this reality in our lives. Um, the fact that there are different types of people that land on us in different ways. And he comes on the scene, and he paints a picture of a new way of relating to one another. And that's really largely what this series uh, called Friends that we've been talking about these last few weeks really touches upon. Jesus is calling into, an, calling into existence a new kind of community of people that he's working on, one that reflects who we were created for and how it is that we were created to relate to one another. And the things that Jesus said about this really did turn the world upside down because no one had ever really said some of the things that Jesus said about how we relate to one another before. And no one has really said things quite like that since. And it has completely turned our world upside down. All of the most influential people in human history, you think about Gandhi or you think about uh, Martin Luther King Jr. and the things that they were teaching that so shaped our society and have shaped our world were rooted in many ways in these very teachings of Jesus about how we ought to relate to one another. You know, in Jesus' day, uh, the, con the context in which he would be talking about some of these things would be like a situation in which uh, in, in, in his time, a, uh, a Roman soldier could come up to a Jewish man, a Roman soldier carrying all of his gear, just pounds and pounds of heavy weight, could come up to a Jewish man and say, hey, you, you take this and you carry it alongside me for a mile. And, and the types of things that Jesus would say was not... Okay, just, just be passive about it. Just do what he says and go along with him and then walk away with your tail between your legs. 
Jesus was not actually calling his followers or us to be passive. Instead, Jesus invites us to take a look at this person who's asking us to walk with him a mile and feel something for him and feel compassion for him. Boy, that looks really heavy. You know, would you give me the privilege of carrying that an extra mile with you all the way back to your house? It's like, what? Or, or, you know, a context in which Jesus is talking about where maybe that same Roman soldier would, would come up to a Jewish man and strike him on the face for something as simple as, you know, not being able to pay what are these really exorbitant taxes. This is actually a really common situation in the day. And Jesus didn't say, you know what, just be passive about it. Just take it and um, just walk away with your tail between your legs. He doesn't say be passive. He says to look upon that person and to have compassion upon them and say, hey, you look like you've had a really rough day. Do you need to get more of that out? Let me, uh, let me turn my other cheek to you. And it's like, what? <laughs> right? And, and, and side note, this is in no way intended to, to enable abuse or oppression, but this is like, a, like an earth-shattering, backward way of looking at how we relate to one another. And, and you know, it's really the miraculous ministry of Jesus and his disciples and the early church that we, we usually talk about as a church family. It's usually what preachers love to talk about. But, you know, the scandal of this new community that Jesus was forming, this new way of relating to one another, is that it was defined by personhood, not by usefulness. And, you know, they, Jesus lived in a Greco-Roman society that took root in a world that discarded people who were not useful. You know, this is, uh, this is why Jesus was always, he had a real soft spot for uh, the oppressed. He had a real soft spot for the fatherless, the widowed, the disabled, the immigrant, the refugee. And the reason for that is because in their society, and in many ways in our society, those were the very people that were cast out. Many times they were forced to live outside of the city gate. And in many ways, we still order our social lives and our world around usefulness, if we're, if we're willing to think about it. And we don't like to admit it. There's like this huge complaint in New York City that um, you know, there seem to be more houseless uh, people in the city. And it's not so much necessarily that the numbers of houseless people have, uh, have gone up, so much as in years past, there were more mechanisms in place to keep them out of sight. And now we see them, and it makes us uncomfortable. But church, we are being invited to stretch our minds, stretch the crevices and the corners of our mind toward the seeming madness of this world that Jesus describes, that he is bringing about, that he's bringing to bear, here on earth as it is in heaven. And God, I believe, is inviting us into a new way of seeing people that stretches the boundaries of two things, of why we love and of who we love, stretching and causing us to maybe see this in a different way. So Jesus talks so much about why it is that we love. So, so many times, over and over again. But I think we should start right where he starts, in one of his most famous sermons that Jesus ever taught, the Sermon on the Mount. 
So in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, and actually this is where that whole thing about turning the other cheek actually came from, or walking with someone who asks you to walk one mile with them, walking with them too. It all comes from this, this sermon that Jesus teaches in Matthew chapter 5. And look at what he says here. He says, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Now, there is this running theme throughout the teachings of Jesus, this upside-down way of being human that prioritizes loving, healthy relationships above all else. And Jesus argues that togetherness is actually what we were created for. Trevor's done a great job these last couple of weeks, and it's plastered right on our little background here, of what it is that we were created for, right from the book of Genesis, that the Lord said it is not good for the man to be alone. So what does God do? He creates man and woman together into this beautiful community that reflects the perfect and beautiful community of God himself as Father, Son, and spirit. And together, man and woman stand before God, and the scriptures say they are naked and unashamed. Nothing to hide from each other, and nothing to hide from God. And it's, it is perfectly in line with who we were created to be, how we were actually created to relate to one another. And, and, and Jesus says here, he says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor. That is right out of the Old Testament. We're going to see more of that in a minute, right? And then he also says, hate your enemy. And I'll tell you another thing, that actually hate your enemy, you're not going to find that anywhere in your Bibles. What Jesus is doing here is he is quoting, he's putting words to the posture that we have. He's quoting scripture at the beginning, love your neighbor. And he says, and you've heard it said, hate your enemies. not saying the scriptures say, hate your enemies. He's saying you've heard it said because he's appreciating that this is the posture that we have, our tendency to distance ourselves from those who oppose us or those who we may not find useful to us. And the word that Jesus uses to describe this foundational, highest priority of almost everything he teaches is the word love, which in the, word, in the Greek is the word agape. Now, if you've been to church for a minute, preachers love to talk about the various Greek words for agape. I'm not going to actually do that, but what I will say is that the word love in English um, is, is far too broad. I would say, in my opinion, right? So uh, here, Max, I'm going to put you on the spot for a second. Ma Pastor Max, what is like one of your favorite foods? Lasagna. lasagna. Good choice. I love lasagna. I love lasagna, and I love pizza, and I love burgers. Uh, any Met fans in the house? I know we have a few. Yeah, right? Okay, maybe not right this minute, <laughs> but in general. It's been a long life, but yes, Met fans. Okay, so I love the Mets. I do. I love the Mets. And then also sitting like right in front of me are my kids, and I love my kids, and is my wife, and I love my wife. And how can I feel about lasagna and the Mets the same way that I feel about my wife and my boys? And this is where the word love fails us, because... The word love that Jesus is using, this word agape, it's less of a feeling 
And it is more of an attitude. It is more of a position of the heart towards someone. Actually, agape, as Jesus describes it, is actually more of a posture. It's an attitude of the heart, an ability to see another person in a certain way that causes your posture to turn toward them. There's very different body language between if I were talking this way or if I were facing you and had my posture toward you. And that's what's woven in to this idea of agape, the love that Jesus is talking about, is a posture that goes toward a person. And that posture and that attitude is something that results in action, in honoring them and seeing them and a readiness to act on, your beh- on be- the behalf of another. So when Jesus says, love your enemies, he's talking about this posture and this willingness to act, this willingness to take action on behalf of somebody around you. And that you may be children of your Father in heaven and woven into this passage and woven into everything that Jesus teaches about how we ought to relate to one another is this theme that we are to reflect the Father in the ways that we see one another, in the ways that we love one another, and in the ways that we take action toward one another. So, but I think the question still remains, which is why do we love? So yeah, we kind of see this like this call to, to love your neighbor, but it, the question still remains, why do we love? Well, one of my seminary professors, he used to say, we love because of the weather. And I'd be like, love because of the weather? I'm like closing my books. I'm like, this guy's nuts. I'm leaving. But it's because that's what Jesus says. He says, God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. And it's amazing what he's getting at here, particularly in an agrarian society, which is the people that he's talking to. They're farmers, and they rely on the sun and on the rain. And at that time, and for, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years before that, the sun and the rain were the one thing that farmers could not control. So they would call to the, to the God or the deity of their choice or of their making to try to call upon them and beckon them to bring them sun and bring them rain. And what Jesus is getting at here is that God sees all people and he causes his son to rise on the evil. He causes his reign that he brings about to fall on all people. And God desires for the the mutual delight that comes from relationship with those people, but he sees every one of them, whether that relationship exists or not, whether whether they're easy to love and that delight and that mutual love is there or it's not, that God sees them and he causes his sun to shine on them and he causes his rain to fall on them. And in theology, this is what we call God's common grace, the generosity that he shows to all of his creation and all people. Jesus is thinking of the Psalms that are written about this. Psalm 145, so many Psalms talk about this very thing, that the Lord is good to all, that he has compassion on all that he has made. So if this is how God sees people, how then should we who reflect God's character also see people? 
Well, Jesus says it like this. He says, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. There's like classic Jesus, like trying to make a point by asking questions. But with his questions, he's getting at something really, really important. That if you love the people who love you, and you love the people that are easy to love, he's almost asking, like, is that enough? Are we experiencing the fullness of who we were created to be and how we were created to relate to one another if we limit our love to those who love us and those who we find easy to love? Well, I'd love to just take a moment, actually, and um, just bring to mind one or two people that you love that you find easy to love. Maybe a close friend, a family member. Take a minute now. Maybe think of one or two people that you don't know so well. You don't love them. You don't dislike them. Kind of indifferent toward them. Um, but you don't know very well. Maybe someone floating around your place work or your, your workplace or your school or something else. Now I want you to think of one or two people in your life that you find difficult to love, that you find off-putting. Maybe you keep a little distance from them for one reason or another. I'm going to bookmark these groups of people in our mind for a minute. God is asking us to see people differently. Welcoming us to lean into relating, all, relating to all these different types of people in our lives differently. He says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And a phrase like that, can feel like overwhelming. I've read that in the scriptures and been like, what? Be perfect as God himself is perfect? Not a chance. Almost what's the point? But what he's getting at here is this invitation to, and this welcome for us to lean into reflecting more of who we were created to be. The word perfect there is most commonly translated in the scriptures as mature. It's this idea of having a mature perspective about the people around us and reflecting God's character as we do. So the question that follows from there, if the call on our lives is love your neighbor as yourself, then the question there, from there is, who counts, right? Who's my neighbor? If you've been coming to church for a minute, you, you might be like, you know what? Uh, I know where we're going. I've heard this before. Uh, yes, everybody's our neighbor. Neighbor, yes, yes, let's get on with it. Let's get the worship team back up here. But I would say, hey, listen, just wait. Just wait a second, okay? Because I know for myself, I will use that narrative as a, 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 like a defense mechanism to avoid grappling with the fullness of what it is that's being communicated here. I think there is more to this than meets the eye. And uh, when we think about who counts who is our neighbor? I mean, initially, I would say, um, 
Not lawyers, right? Lawyers are the worst, aren't they? Are, are there any lawyers in the room? You're not going to raise your hand now. I'm raising mine, and I can say this because I am a lawyer when I'm not doing this. So, and, and listen, I feel like I've heard every single lawyer joke that's out there. But if you think you've got one that I haven't heard, catch me after service and tell it to me because I'd like to hear it. I did hear a relatively new one earlier this summer where um, I was So you know how there's been like this thing with, there's been like sharks at Jones Beach, right? And all of the beaches on Long Island, right? And I don't remember that being a thing when I was a kid, but now I just feel like there's constantly like talk about sharks and shark attacks. Anyway, so I'm talking to this guy and um, he, he says, um, we're talking about all the sharks in the ocean and he's like, yeah, yeah, you can go swim in the ocean whenever you want. And I was like, wait, why? And he's like, uh, oh, because sharks won't attack lawyers. And I was like, I was like, wait, why? And he goes, professional courtesy. <laughs> That's hurtful, right? That's hurtful. Don't clap at that. So, and then there's like the classic jokes, like how do you know a, a lawyer is lying? His lips are moving, right? You know? Yeah, I'm rolling my eyes over here. All right, if you have a new one, I'd love to, I, I'd love to hear it. Well, listen, in Luke chapter 10, there is what the scriptures translate as a lawyer, an attorney, who asks a great question. Um, it's a little misleading. It's not like a lawyer the way we think of lawyers. It's an expert in the law, probably better, better described as like a scribe, right? Someone who, who knew the law of, of God very well. And uh, in Luke chapter 10, it reads like this. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law, a lawyer, I guess, whatever, stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Uh, well, what is written in the law? Jesus replies, how do you read it? And uh, he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, yep, you got it. Good, you answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Boom, the lawyer coming out with the right question. Who counts? Who is my neighbor? The thing is this. This lawyer had already answered his own question because just a minute ago when he, uh, when he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and all of that stuff, and he says, love your neighbor as yourself, he was quoting some scripture that actually already answered his own question. And um, so the first part, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, that is quoted from the Shema. It's famous Deuteronomy chapter 6. The Jewish people then and even now would recite it two times a day in temple. It was, it was a central part of, uh, of their understanding of what God was calling them to. Then the second part, love your neighbor as yourself, also comes from the Torah. And this expert in the law, he certainly knew that. First, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 16. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebu rebuke your neighbor, frankly, so that you will not share in their guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your neighbor, but love your neighbor as yourself. Ding, ding, ding. There it is, right? And it says, I am the Lord. Okay, so you get a little bit of guidance in here about who your neighbor is, don't you? right? He talks about the fellow Israelite. He talks about um, among your people. It sounds like your neighbor is going to be your people, right? The people around you, the people in your tribe is your neighbor, so love them the way you love yourself. But 
this lawyer also knows that Leviticus 19 does not end at verse 18. It keeps going. Verse 33. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Uh-oh. Love your neighbor as yourself. For you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Okay, whoa. So now the law has expanded the definition of who your neighbor is, right? It seems to, have, seems to go much further than that. And even though in this passage that the lawyer himself just quoted, and he answers his own question within it, Jesus answers his question nonetheless. And he does it with a story, which... Uh, is also classic Jesus. It's a story, whether you've been coming to church or you're familiar with the Bible like a lot or you've never opened it before, we all have kind of some familiarity with this story here in Luke chapter 10. So in reply, Jesus says, a man's going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. Uh, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, le- went away, leaving him half dead. So then a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he sees him, he passes by on the other side. So too, a Levite is another religious professional. He uh, comes to the place, he sees him, and he passes by on the other side. Okay, a couple quick things to know about this. One is that this road that they're talking about from Jerusalem to Jericho is a very long road. It's about 20 miles long. It is a downhill climb from uh, Jerusalem, which is like 3,000 feet above sea level, all the way down to Jericho, which is down at sea level. So 3,000 foot altitude change, 20 miles coming down this road. It's dangerous. Thievery was common on that stretch. It had earned the name like the way of blood. And some scholars say that, you know, we see this as a parable. Some scholars say this is probably a real story that actually took place that Jesus was just quoting. So you take a look at what's happening here. And the priest and this Levite, listen, they get a bad rep, man, if you ask me. I think we look at those guys and we're like, man, they are cold. I'm not that cold-hearted. So I'm not sure that this really applies to me so much. But there's more to this story than we think, all right? Because like I said, there's this 20-mile journey between Jerusalem and Jericho. Most of these priests and these Levites, they lived in Jericho and they worked in Jerusalem. So because it was such a long journey, what they would do is they would go and they would work at the temple for a two-week period and then they would make their way down and go home for a period of two weeks. And what they would do is travel down from Jerusalem to Jericho carrying carrying their salary. And their salary was not pockets full of cash or a Venmo transfer. Their, their, their salary was grain and animals for food and supplies for their family and their community. And they're carrying all this stuff down the road. And in Jewish law, if they were to go and touch this bloody man who was sitting on the side of the road, well, then all of their food that they had brought with them for their family would now be ceremonially, ceremonially unclean and they'd have to throw it away. Okay, so how does that maybe shift our perspective a little bit? They're carrying their food for their family. Is it possible then that with that in mind, it's a little easier to walk past this bloody man and it's like, I didn't see it, I didn't see it, I didn't see it. Because I've got to keep going. But look what happens. A Samaritan, as he travels, comes across where the man is and he saw him and he took pity on him. And he went to him and he bandaged his wounds and pours oil and wine and he 
So puts the man on his own donkey and he brings it to him to an inn. And the next day takes out a bunch of money and he gives it to the innkeeper and he says, look after this man and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Well, um, you got to realize this story is like shocking in a lot of ways. So there's a hierarchy. There's a social hierarchy that existed even then, just as it, exist, as it exists now, right? And at the top of that hierarchy were the priests, right? They were the most wealthy. They worked in the temple. They were the most educated. Then there were the Levites, who were these religious professionals. They were kind of like the middle class. And then there was just like your Jewish layperson, usually poor, and uh, that was kind of next on the totem pole. All right, and that's who you'd expect to come next in the story. Priest, Levite, Jewish layperson. But that's not what Jesus does. Who does Jesus make the hero in this story? Samaritan, right? And there's this crazy racial tension that exists between the Samaritans and the Jewish people. Just like a little, little bit of background real quick. So the tribes of Israel, is 12 tribes of Israel we read about in the Old Testament. Ten of these tribes in the north, they end up going and being exiled at the hand of the Assyrians. And there's a few of these uh, people from these ten tribes that don't get exiled, and the Assyrians send a bunch of their people, and they intermarry with people from these ten tribes. And they have children. And then there's these other two tribes of the south who also get exiled at the hand of the Babylonians. The Babylonians come and try to intermarry with them, and they say, nope, we're not doing it. They draw a line in the sand. How do you think these, the, Bab the, the uh, two tribes that were exiled into Babylon feel about the ones that went with the Assyrians and, and their little intermarrying situation? Not great, right? And those people, the children of those, that, those intermarriages are the ones who become the Samaritans. So the Jews see the Samaritans as half-breeds, they see them as, um, as heretics. And the Samaritans see the Jewish people as racist and oppressive. And a Samaritan is the one that Jesus decides to make the hero of this story. Look at what happens. The Samaritan, the Samaritan sees him and he takes pity on him. And this is something that you see over and over again in, in, in the scriptures, in Jesus' own life. Every time Jesus sees someone and he has compassion on them, and then he acts. He sees someone and he has compassion on them and he loves them over and over and over again. And yes, guys, this is a story about compassion. But what's the question that Jesus was answering? Who's my neighbor? Who counts, right? The question that Jesus is answering was, who counts? And he says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replies, the one who had mercy on him. It's so funny, like you couldn't even say the name. You couldn't even say a Samaritan, right? This is, this is how thick the tension was between these two. And Jesus says, yes, go and do likewise. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? He's completely redefining, completely broadening the definition of neighbor far beyond your people, far beyond the people that are easiest to be around, far beyond the people that you agree with most readily, far beyond the people that have the same political views as you, or the, same, the people that look like you, or the people that have the same values as you. He's stretching far beyond that, and he's saying that your neighbor, 
the answer to, to this scribe's question, that your neighbor, in fact, is every person on whom God's sun shines and on whom his rain falls. Every person has inherent value and inherent dignity and inherent worth and are image bearers of God himself. And there's this invitation, this call, this beckon upon us to see the people around us like that. Like I said, the scandal of Jesus' teaching, the scandal of the early church was that people were defined by personhood, not by usefulness. You know, it's, it's a view of people that is marked by agape, marked by the type of sacrificial love. And sacrificial love, guys, is incredibly inefficient, isn't it? I mean, giving ourselves and being, not just having an attitude of love or a posture of love, but a readiness to act upon that love on behalf of another. It oftentimes brings us no benefit. And yet, this is what it is that God has called us to. Listen, the, the beauty of this baptism that we just had this privilege of witnessing together is that God's whole posture is one of sacrificial love. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So while we had nothing to offer to God, we were not useful to him in any way. That it's in that moment that God saw us, God had pity upon us, and God sent his son to die and to rise again. And now he reigns so that we could be made new. It is the quintessential, let me carry that load for you two miles instead of just one. And now we have the resources, church, we have the resources to live like that and to bear that presence to the people around us. Our pockets are full. We come from a place of abundance. So we don't have to stretch and look for ways to be able to love the people around us well, including the people that are hard to love. Because our pockets are full. We can give generously. So... Why do we love? Well, because of the weather, right? Who do we love? Who's our neighbor? Well, I think this little pesky lawyer helped us figure that out. So really the question is, how do we do it? Jesus said, go and do likewise. How do we do it? Go and do likewise. A couple quick things. We'll close with this. One, we cannot muster the strength to do this on our own. We can try. This is a nice warm and fuzzy message in some ways. It's hard, but it's like, oh, I love the idea of loving everyone. I'm going to try to do that. And I'm telling you, we're going to try to do it. And um, it might work for a little while, actually. But it won't be long before it doesn't again. And that person that annoys you, irritates you at work, at school, your neighbor, um, you're going to be right back there. And this is why God invites us to pray that he would grow in us an attitude and a posture of love, of agape, of readiness to act on behalf of another. That he would just keep filling and refilling our pockets so that we have limitless resources of God himself at our disposal to love people well. Would we see the people in our lives as people who are loved by God? New eyes 
that see people differently. And bring back to your memory for a second those three groups of people, the ones that you love, that are easy to love, those that you don't know well, and those that are hard to love, that you stay away from. God, what would it look like for us to see all three of those groups of people differently and to love them with the limitless, boundless agape that we have experienced in Jesus Christ? And so would we show that generosity and that sacrificial love toward them, just as God generously shows that love to us? What will it look like to, to, to lean into this, even just a little bit, even, even today, in the ways that you love your family and your friends and the people you spend your time with for the rest of today, Sunday, to say, God, would you give me eyes to see them differently, to love them differently? When you get back to work tomorrow or maybe you have tomorrow off, I hope, you know, Tuesday, whatever it is, what is it going to look like for us to see people just a little bit differently? You know, I've often thought, you know, Jesus... In Jesus' time, they lived in such a localized community where the people who lived around you really were your community. So the thing that Jesus had to teach them was your neighbor's not just your neighbor. It's actually everybody, right? I wonder if for us, I feel convicted by this myself, I wonder if for us, what we need to hear is maybe your neighbor is also your actual neighbor. Like the people that live next to you and across the street and on the other side or upstairs or downstairs or Mr. Heckles. Maybe it's them. Maybe they're the ones that, we're, that God is asking us to see differently, to take an attitude and a posture of love toward them and to act on their behalf. And when we do this, church, when we do this, we bear the presence of Jesus to a world that needs him. When we do this for each other, we bear the love, the agape of Jesus to each other. And we become more of who we were meant to be. And God's world becomes more of what he intended it to be. And we partner with God in making all things new. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. So God, we are just so grateful for just your goodness, your presence, and the fact that your sun shines on the good and the evil and your rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous and that you show generously your grace to all people. God, we are, are grateful and honored to be uh, along for this journey of what you have invited us into. That as you delight in us, people who um, are loved by you, who have been made whole um, by the power of the good news about Jesus Christ, that you have called us to bear that presence to others. Would you give us new eyes to see, new hearts to be able to feel with the people around us? Um, no matter who they are or where they are or how we feel about them, give us an attitude and a posture of love and readiness to act on their behalf. Only you can do this in our hearts, but you have given us new hearts in the gospel, so would you cause those hearts to burst out from our chests in love that that just touches everybody that we come into contact with. So we love you. We thank you. We're expectant of what you're going to do in every heart in this room, in this community, on Long Island and far beyond. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name.
If you enjoyed the sermon, want to learn more about Jesus, or get to know our community, please visit beacon.church to get connected. We would love to hear from you.